Let me just say that again. <clears throat> Since the Rebbein Shem now is going to take away the power of Tikkun, the power of fighting against the Sultan and to remove the Zayama from all mankind and give it only to Avram, he therefore had to create the concept of nations. Because formerly it was one nation, the entire world was one nation. So what he did is he, sp <clears throat> because if God would allow one nation to exist, what they would do is fight Avram. Because then how would Avram and his descendants escape? So God spread the nations, he, which means that he, made, he created the concept of diversity of language, in order to create the concept of different nations. Therefore the nations will war against themselves and not Jews. <clears throat> And of course what this means is now that God wants the nations to come together again so that they can all join in the final battle between evil and the Mashiach, God therefore wants to reunite the nations. So how is God going to undo what he did by allowing concepts like the United Nations to exist? And the truth is the United Nations exists not for peace but for war. In other words, it is United Nations against Israel, not United Nations for peace. And the truth is that de facto, that's exactly what you see. Because the truth is that as soon as nations get together, the first thing on their mind is to kill Jews. And that's really what's been happening for the last 10 years. In other words, men in, when the UN was founded, nobody would ever believe me if I said that the United Nations is, to, is really to polarize the nations against Israel. In, order, in other words, the revolution wants to undo what he did in the Doha Flogger. But now, of course, you see it's true that uh, most of the resolutions that come out of the UN, of course, condemns Israel. And the truth is, the Rebbeim now doesn't care if anti-Semitism builds, because he wants the final war to take place between Goig and Mogoig, all the nations against the Mashiach and Klai Israel. So therefore, in order to undo the effect of language in diversifying the nations, he allows them to sit together in a unified body with translators, right? So there's no more... Uh, there's no more effect of the fact that they're languages. Also what the Bershom does is he creates telecommunications and TV and all these kind of things which are ma'achid the nations together. But the truth of it is of course is to, is to set the final stage where the world will war against Mashiach and Klai Israel. That's really an off, uh, that was just an agav because really uh, I want to get to Pesach. Now, the Bershom now addresses Avram and he says to Avram I'm going to make an agreement with you. What's the agreement? That you must undo all the power that the Sultan has because of the sins of the previous 2,000 years. Did you imagine? Not only must, Adam, must Avram and his descendants undo, right? Or remove the Zoyama, those four clippers, from Adam Rishon's sin, but he's got to undo all the Zoyama, all the power that the Sultan's got for the last 2,000 years. Therefore, God says, therefore, they must remove the Zoyama, because that is a test. Where do we see that he said that to Avram? Well, he said that they will be strangers in the land 400 years. What does that mean? Why should the Jews go to Egypt? And the truth is that Egypt is the repository of all the power of the Satan. And every time there's always a nation that represents the most evil. What the Bershom did, he said, look, right now, the repository or the, the, or the nation that most adheres to the Sultan is Egypt. Therefore, the Jews must go into Egypt because that's their task, to remove the Zoyama, to destroy the Sultan. That's why they had to go to Egypt. 
The Jews didn't have to go to Egypt because they were punished, because, because Avram said, how will I know my children will inherit the land? No, because once Avram took the task of what was formerly Adam Rishans and all of mankind, then it's up to him and his descendants to destroy the Zayamah. You want to destroy the Zayamah? You got to go into the Klippa. You got to go into the nation that has those existential states, and you must withstand them by being righteous, and you destroy it. Therefore, the Jews went to Egypt to remove the Zoyamah, you see, to go into the nation that represents evil the most, to become, to remain righteous, and of course to Menatseach, to remove the Zoyamah. That is why the Jews go to Egypt, and for no other reason. But it's interesting, what happens if the Jews <clears throat> fail? What happens if they can't get through Egypt? So God says, okay, I will give them an out. I will give them an out. If the Jews fail to remove the Zoyamah through Egypt and whatever occurs after that, I will allow the Jews to remove it, but no more as a single nation. The truth is that Egypt at that time had all the four existential states of the Zoyamah. They had all the levels of evil in Egypt. If the Jews succeed in removing the Zoyama, terrific. Then they will usher in the Messianic time, then. But what happens if the Jews don't do that? So therefore God says, I will allow the Jews to go into exile, into four nations, each one which has one specific klipo or existential state of evil. Now, where do we see that indicated? Because the Rebbein Shum says, "Vegam es hagoi donanuri," and I will judge, and I will also judge this nation. In other words, you know, the Jews will be in Egypt, in that nation. God does not mention the nation; they will be there four hundred years, and I will also judge this nation. So the Medrash says, "Vegam" includes Babylon, the four nations: Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The question is, what's it doing here? Now we begin to understand the concept of the four exiles. Each nation themselves represented one existential state. Egypt represented all four. But if they failed, there had to be a contingency plan where they would, the Jews would be able to remove the Zoyamah, but this time they would have to go to four different nations to do it. Each one containing one, you see. That is why the Medrash says that in Toyu, Voyu, Choyshech, and Tohoim is also indicated the four kingdoms. Because each one represented an existential state of evil. That's why they're at the beginning of Bereshus. The Torah is Merames, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, in the second Pasuk of Bereshus. Not because the kingdoms were so great, <clears throat> because each kingdom had an existential state of evil. Which, which were the parts of the Zoyamah, the four clippers, which the Jews would have to remove. Now, what is Bovel? Bovel was the first exile. <clears throat> and Bovel, the word Bovel means confusion. Bolu, Bilbel. It means confusion. Why? Why was Bovel confused? Because Israel would have to go into Babylon. Now, Babylon was a very interesting place. Babylon was an enormously spiritual nation. They were into all kinds of gods. In other words, they understood the concept of a spiritual reality. But their spirituality was f full of uh, idols and so on. 
So you had good and evil in the same place. You ever notice that in Daniel Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream and he attributes it to God? I mean, the Babylonians flirted with spirituality, but it was a distorted form of spirituality. There was good because they recognized that the underlying cause of creation or the world was spiritual forces, but it was evil because they attributed to, of course, idols and false gods. Bovel was a confusion of truth and evil. Therefore, Bovel is the existential state of evil that the Jews would first have to go into and remain righteous. The next one was Persia. Poros. Poros was different. Persians were into materialisms, materialism. They were very hedonistic. Witnessed the great feast, the Sud of Ahasuerus. They were very much into Taiva. There was no real good. They were, they were, they were into Taiva and materialism. There was an absence of real good. They were not into spirituality the way the Babylonians were. Therefore, they represent the second creeper, Voyu, which is Poros. The third creeper is Greece. Right? What did Greece introduce to the world? Logic, philosophy. That the basis of man, the basis of creation is what? Is the underlying scientific laws. His philosophical principles. Well, there you are. Greece introduced a philosophical system, an alternative view of the world, which was against the spiritual system. That's Mamish Chushech, which of course is uh, Greece. Because they introduced darkness, which is an alternative reality system than the system of, of spirituality. That's why Choshech is called um, Yovin of Greece. And by the way, of course, that's why we have Hanukkah lights, which is lights, which is connected. That's the or, which is connected Choshech. And that is why the, the letter or is the 25th letter from the word Breshis. And of course, Hanukkah happens on the 25th day of Kislev. They indicate that the ore of Bracious is really the ore of Hanukkah, which is the, what the Jews reject, namely the Chishach of Greece, because God said, let there be light to counteract darkness. The darkness was Greece, or the philosophical system of the Greeks, and the ore, of course, which is truth, or the spiritual system of Yadus, of Judaism, of course, is represented by all, which of course is what the Jews celebrate on the 25th day of Kislev, which of course means that, and which is why or is the 25th letter from the word Bracious. In any case, Yovan represents Choshech. Tahoim is the abyss, represents Rome or Edom. You know why? Because Rome didn't create any new form of civilization. Rome took the gods of Greece, Rome took the philosophy of Greece, Rome took the buildings, the culture, you name it, and it spread it throughout the world. Rome was the bearer of the civilization of Greece. That's why it's called the Greco-Roman civilization. Because Rome didn't really introduce anything new. They took Greece, the civilization of Greece, and they, spread, they took Hellenism and they spread it throughout the world. <clears throat> Okay, and what is the Tahoim? The Tahoim, an ocean, is a huge expanse of darkness. That's why Rome is characterized by Tahoim, the expanse, because its task is to take the darkness of Greece 
Choshech and spread it throughout the world. Therefore, the Bereshim, when he talks to Avram, says, Look, the Jews must go to Egypt. Why? Because they must remove the Zoyamah. They must go into a nation that has all four existential states. And Egypt was the nation that had it at that time. But what happens if they fail? Then God says, I will give them a contingency plan. Vegam esagoi. Not only Egypt will I judge, but Vegam also the other nations which have the different existential states. But this time it's divided amongst four rather than being contained in one. You see. Now you understand why there are four exiles. Because there are four existential states of evil. Each nation represents one. Israel must go through each one and maintain their tzitkus. Egypt had all of them. That's why Egypt is not an exile. You see, Egypt was the first and last exile that was supposed to be. It was a self-contained unit that had all the elements of the Zoyamah. You see. But when the Jews failed to remove the Zoyama, as we shall see, to a complete extent, then they were doomed to be exiled in the four nations, of course, and they would have to remove the Zoyama by going through all the nations. Okay? This is what the Bereshtam made the agreement with Avram. Now, interestingly enough, it's interesting to note that when in Tildes, Pasha's Tildes, when uh, Rivka gave birth to uh, uh, Yaakov and Esau, right? So it says that there was a tremendous uh, pain she was having. So she went to inquire, what's this all about? So God said to her through a prophet, There are two nations within you, in your belly. And two nations will separate from within you. One will be greater than the other. In other words, when one is great, the other will be low. And when the other one is great, then the reverse will happen. And the older shall serve the younger. What's he referring to? They are saying the prophecy is not only a prophecy in terms of uh, um, Yaakov and Esav, but these are the four klipas. There will be a time when Yaakov and Esav dwell together, which is what they do right now in you. Good and evil dwell in the same environment. Right? But then it will happen. Good and evil will be separate. There will be a time that evil will reign by itself. There will be an absence of good. Then what will happen is that what will happen is evil will be on top and good will be on the bottom, which means that there will be a, an alternate system of reality that evil will present. And then, and the older shall serve the younger. And what that really means is, of course, that the, the younger will be exiled in the older. And the older will serve the younger by exiling the younger so it can remove the zoyim of the older. Interesting. <clears throat> means the older shall serve the younger. Esau will serve Yaakov. But how? Because Yaakov will be exiled in Esau. And Esau will do the mission of God by allowing Yaakov to suffer under his hands. And therefore, Yaakov will then complete the job of removing the Zoyama from Esau. So in effect, even though the older subjugates the younger, the older is really serving the younger by allowing the younger to destroy the older. <coughs> in any case, again we see the idea, the concept of four. 
We see the same idea, by the way, when when uh, uh, Yitzchak wants to give the blessings to Esav, right? So he tells uh, he tells Esav to go out and hunt for him, him right? <clears throat> what Yitzchak says is, "Viato and now sono kilecho, sharpen your weapons." Yitzchak is now talking to Esav to send him out to hunt venison, right? So he says, "Sharpen your weapons." Sono kilecho, your weapons. Teicho, your sword. The kashtecho and your bow. The tseasoden, go out into the field. The tsudelitsoyed, and ensnare, trap me, uh, you know, game. The medrash says that these four expressions refer to the four nations of exile. Why? What does it have to do with here? Because what Yitzchok prophetically was saying to Esav, Viato, you Esav, who represent the Sultan, Sono kelecho, take your weapons. Right? What's the, f the weapons, the general weapons? You try to ensnare by how? By having good and evil together. Teicho, then take your sword. The sword severs. And that's where Esav tries to ensnare by putting you in a domain of all evil and no good. Vekashtecho, and take your bow, because a bow can kill from afar. Right? Doesn't have to, you don't have to be near the victim. The same thing, an alternative system of reality can kill from afar, even though it's not, right? Even though it, you're not in the nation that developed that system, it, it can kill from afar. Vetseasode <coughs> is not a weapon. It means go out into the field. That's tahoim. Spread it all over the planet. <coughs> you know, it's these four things that Yitzchak tells Esau refers to the four weapons of the Sultan. Which are the four weapons of Esav. Medr says that. But what does that have to do with here? Again, once we understand the whole concept of the Zoyamah, the four Klippas, the four nations of the exile, who, the nations who exiled Jews, uh, that of course each represents an existential state, we understand what these things mean. Now, interestingly enough, we find the same thing when Yaakov left uh, Yitzchak to go to Lovon. And on the way, he had a dream of a ladder, if you recall. Right? So Rabbanishim says to him, don't worry. You're going to Lovan. You're going into a klipa, an evil place, right? But God says, I will watch you. And he says to him in four languages, <clears throat> four times, I will be with you once. And I will watch you in every way you go. Twice. I will return you to this land. It's three I will not forsake you. Until you do what I, I want, what I have said. Four times. God is saying to Yaakov, I will protect you. Don't worry. I'll watch you. I won't forsake you. I'll be with you. Why four times? In other words, I will protect you no matter which clipper you go into. The four clippers, I will be with you. And that's why it says four times the Loshan of Shmirah, the same idea. That when you go into the Klippah, Yaakov and your descendants, don't worry. I will be with you in each exile, each Klippah, as you destroy the Zoyamah, the existential states of evil, and you remain righteous, I will be with you and your descendants through each, uh, each, each exile, through each existential state of evil, through all the four Klippahs of the Zoyamah. Okay, we now have the history until Egypt. See, all this is necessary to understand what Egypt is. The whole concepts of the Zoyama and so on. 
The Jews now go into Egypt for what purpose? To remove the Zoyama. That is why the Jews are going to Egypt. And in Egypt, Egypt has Egypt has the, all the four aspects of the Zoyama. And the truth is that it's really marumas. And not marumas, but that these the four clippers or the four existential states of evil is really the four decrees of Paroid. The first decree of Paroid was Shibud. Let, let us enslave the Jews. Let, it, let, them, let, let, uh, let them make bricks for us. They have to serve us. Okay? This is the first decree. <clears throat> it is a decree where Jews must serve the masters. Okay? Jews must serve the, uh, the Egyptians. That is a state of confusion. Because even as slaves, they still had relative autonomy. They were not persecuted. They lived in their own houses. And they served the Egyptians. So you had that mixture. You had that confusion where Jews had their own lifestyle. And also, uh, uh, Jews also served Egypt. The second Gezer of Parai was where Parai said, kill all the male children. This is a Gezerah where the Jews have to remain tzaddikim even though there is no toiv. Now they're being wiped out. There's only evil. Kill all the Jews. It's interesting that if you think about it, which represents the second clipper? Persia. Right? Poras. Persia. What, was it, what did Haman want to do? Kill out all the Jews. It's interesting. The, Xera, the second Xera of Parai is equivalent to the Xera of Persia, which is Haman. To kill out all the Jews. In any case, there is no good. The Jews now have to be subjected to an environment where they are being butchered. They are being killed. There is no more good. There is only evil. Then the next Xera of Parai was to use the blood of Jews for himself. Because he had leprosy and Chazal say that he made Xera that he took Jewish blood and he bathed in it in order to be cured. And that is interesting because that Xera means that Parah is using the Jews, the Jews' blood for his own purposes. In other words, that represents the fact that the Satan uses an alternative system of evil to convince people. And we know that the alternative system of evil is always what? Is always a distortion of truth. In other words, and that you know from previous ideas, that it is the, 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 the system itself of Greece really is partial truth, of logic and so on. But it's a distortion of truth. In other words, the Satan always uses the true Chochmah, distorts it, and then he tries to confuse people. And that's the same idea that Paroi wanted to use the blood from the Jews for his own benefit. And by the way, the Medrash says that these four Shibudim correspond to the four uh, kingdoms. Because again, that each one created an environment which would subject the Jews to a certain uh, environment, existential state of evil, and they would have to remain tzaddikim. And the fourth one was what? Where Parai said, you people are lazy. <clears throat> go out and gather straw throughout Egypt. Remember after Moshe Rabbeinu came? He said, go out and gather straw throughout Egypt. And of course, what that is, is Pizur. Jews are spread all over the Egypt. And that corresponds to what? The fact that Jews now have to live in an environment which is evil. They have to go throughout the entire Egypt. And that, of course, corresponds to Rome, which 
of course, means that Jews are spread throughout the entire world. The spreading out in Egypt is represented, of course, by Jews, the exile of Jews throughout the entire world. But what it meant is that the Jews have to experience the evil of the entire Egypt. And that's the fourth. In other words, it was the comprehension of the evil of Egypt throughout. In any case, the four Shibudim of power represent an existential state, the four existential states of evil that Jews would have to go under. Therefore, Mitzrayim was a mini, was a nation that contained all aspects of the Zoyamah. And it was necessary for the Jews to withstand the Egyptians. And they would be able to remove the Zoyamah. And Chazal say they did. They didn't change their language, their names, or their dress. And that was what was required of them at that time. Besides the fact that they suffered at the hands of the Egyptians. And that itself was, a, it was able to remove the Zoyamah. In any case, <clears throat> we see from Egypt that the avoid of the Jews in Egypt was to remove the existential states of evil. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, and, that's, and that's what they did. They did remove the existential state of evil. Um, in Egypt. Now, if the Jews succeeded in removing the Zoyhamor in Egypt, how would this be symbolically represented? Okay. The Jews leave Egypt, which we'll get into a little later, but I want to just go to this one point. The Jews leave Egypt, they all of a sudden come to the sea and they can't move. They can't move. The Egyptians run after them. Okay. The Jews go into the sea. Moshe splits the sea. He goes into the sea, right? And then he, they come out at the other end. And of course, the Egyptians go in and drown it. What was the significance of the Kriya Samsef? The truth is that, do you remember by Noach, why, were the, why was mankind destroyed by a marble, a, a tohoim? Because that indicated that evil had pervaded itself throughout the entire world and the Tahaim, the existential state of evil at that level, destroyed them. If the Jews removed the Zoyama, so what would that mean? That would mean that they would go into a Tahaim and walk right out. And that's exactly what happened. They went into the Tahaim, it split. And that meant that they split the Tahaim which is the Zoyamah in its greatest measure, and they walk right out, right out of the Zoyamah. We see, Kriya Samsev is an exact opposite of the marble. Exact opposite. Just like the marble, the Tahoim, destroyed the people, because they indicate that the existential state of evil was throughout creation, that rain therefore destroyed the, uh, the people. The Jews, by removing the Zoyama, right, actually uh, uh, was invo- were involved in a reverse process. They went into the Tahoim, into the water, the water split, they went into it and walked out of it. In other words, they split the Zoyama and they walked out of the Zoyama to indicate that they conquered the Zoyama. That's what Kriya Siamsef really is. And the interesting thing about it is, when you hear that, is that the Tahoim destroyed the Egyptians. 
The Jews walked out of it, right? And the Tahoim went back and destroyed the Egyptians. What happened is the Zoyma itself destroyed the Egyptians. And so if that's the case, we would expect to find a, a, a statement or at least maybe some kind of allusion to the four clippers here, wouldn't we? Right? And the, the incredible thing is that you do. The four clippers destroyed the Egyptians. Evil itself turned against Egypt and destroyed them. Because you find, it says, and Egypt pursued them, and then it says, Vahibi Ashmur Saboike, at the beginning of the dawn. What is that? That's Noiga. That's light. It was at the beginning of the light, the dawn. Vayashkev Hashem Amachni Mitzrayim, and God looked on Egypt. How did he look? Amud Eish, in a pillar of fire, the Onon, in a cloud. And he shook up Egypt, right? Well, there you are. You have the Ashmur Saboika, the Noiga, the light. You have the Amud Eish, the Eish Mislakachas, that's the second clipper. The Onon, the cloud, is a third clipper, right? And then right before that, it says when he was spl splitting the sea, it says, Vayet Moshe Yodo, and he lifted his hand, right? Alayom, Vayolach Hashem Asayom, and God made cause to pass. Baruach Kodum Azo, a tremendous wind. What wind is that? Ruchsara. And of course, they went into the Tahim. They went into the Yam, the Mamayim, right? So the incredible thing about it is you find that the, the Pneumius of Kriyas Yamsuf is the revelation that the Jews destroyed the Zoyamah. Because they went into the Zoyamah, the Tahoim, which is the greatest existential state of evil, and they walked right out of it. The reverse of what Noach did, over the generation of Noach. And you find that the four Lishonis are Mamish at the time of Kriyas Yamsuf. You find Ruach Kodum Azo, the Ruach Sorom, the Ashmur Saboike, the Onon and the Eish. All four existential states of the Klippa destroyed the Egyptians. And that is why Moshe Rabbeinu is called Moshe. Because the purpose of Moshe was what? What does Moshe mean? To draw out of the water, right? The purpose of Moshe was to take Israel and draw out all the, the Kedusha, all the power to draw it out of the Satan. That's why he's called Moshe. The purpose of Moshe as the Mashiach bin Yosef, and that's really what he was, is to remove, to destroy the Satan, to remove the influence that Satan has on the Bria, to remove the Zoyamah. That is why Moshe Rabbeinu is called Moshe. That's why that name stuck. Because what did Paras, Bas Parai do, the daughter of Pharaoh? She drew him out of the water. In other words, he, which symbolized that he will draw the Zoyamah out of the Tahim. In other words, he will take out the, uh, the uh, Zoyamah, the power that the Sutton has, and he will take it out of the Sutton. That's why he's called Moshe, one who draws out. He takes out the Zoyamah from the entire creation. In any case, we now understand symbolically many things which are going on in Mitzrayim. <clears throat> As explained, once we understand the whole idea of the Zoyama and the task of man. In other words, the task of man is to war with the Satan and to war with each clipper manifestation, each existential state of evil. 
Egypt represented a nation that had all the existential status of evil. Therefore, when the Rebbe talked to Avram, already he told them that they must go into Egypt to remove the Zoyama, which is the original task of man. Therefore, the Jews did it by suffering in Egypt, remaining righteous to a certain extent, and they walked out of the Yamsuf, which of course indicates symbolically that they split the Tahoim, which means they diminished or they usurped the power of the Tahoim. And what they did is by, of course, splitting the sea, the ground underneath was revealed. They split the sea, removed the Zoyamah, and therefore the Yichud of God was revealed as a result. So far, what do we see? We see that one of the main themes of Pesach is the fact that Klai Israel, that Israel, has to contend with what's called the Klippos, or the four worlds of evil, and that they must remain righteous in these existential states of evil. Now, it's interesting to note, when we think about the fact that there are really four worlds, the question many times arises, why are there three of us? And why are there four Imohos? Avram, Yitzchok, and Yaakov were the others. And the Imohos were um, Sora, Rivka, Rochel, and Leah. Why is that there are four, uh, three of us and four Imohos? Well, the truth is that, is that there are really four of us. And I'll explain, you know, in a minute what that means. The truth is that each of was connected one Klippa. In other words, it was the work of each of to try to contend with and to try to uh, neutralize, nullify the effect of a klipa. And that's what we find by Avram, that Avram is connected toyu, which of course is a mixture of good and bad. Avram of course would be the toyu that would interact into the world, he would go into the world, to, into the nations, and he would try of course to, re- re- to re- uh, return the people to do uh, good. So Avram would be connected Tehu, the first Klippa, the Klippa of good and bad. Yitzchak, we know that Yitzchak primarily worked on himself. <clears throat> and he had very little to do really with the outside world. So what we could say is Yitzchak is really Tehu, and he abstains in general from evil. Now it's just like the Klippa of Vohu, which is evil and no good. Yitzchak was good and no evil, in the sense that he really had nothing to do with the rest of the world. He worked on himself. Just as Vayu is evil with, with the absence of good, so is Yitzchak the Toiv with the absence of evil in the sense that he had nothing to do with the representatives of evil. So therefore Avram is connected Toiv, the first Klippah, and Yitzchak is connected uh, Vayu, which of course the second Klippah, the absence of good. Now Yaakov, we know that Yaakov, his major uh, battle, of course, his major purpose was to develop himself in Torah. So he was occupied in what's called uh, Emes, Titan Emes Li Yaakov. Yaakov was involved in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the, uh, the acquisition of tremendous amounts of Torah or Emes to oppose Sheker. And we know therefore that Emes, of course, is in opposition to the framework of evil. In other words, Torah is the framework of toiv or good. And we say that the klippah 
of Choshech really is the alternative framework of reality. That framework of reality, which is Hester, which conceals the oneness of God. And Yaakov, of course, who occupied himself in Torah, really is in opposition to that framework. The framework, the alternative uh, e of framework of evil, Yaakov Avinu would be against that. So therefore we see that Yaakov is Keneged Chishich. And we had mentioned before that what Chishich is, darkness, of course, is because that is the Klippa, that is the third level of the Zoyama, which presents its own alternative rational framework for evil. And Yaakov, of course, <coughs> would be against that in the sense that he was dedicated to the life of Torah, which is the framework, of course, of true Toiv, true reality. So that would be three Klippas. But that's only three of us. Where is the fourth of for the fourth Klippa? And the answer, of course, is Esav. Esav was at first intended to be the fourth of. And he would be connected to the Klippa of Tohim. In that Esav was an Ish Sodeh. His task was to go out into the field, into the world, and to subdue it. To subdue the pleasures of the world, the arrogance of the world, to remain, to dedicate it in the service of God. And of course, in that sense, Esav was not only pervaded by an external environment of evil, he had a tremendous Yetzirah himself. He had an internal environment of evil. Therefore, it was the job of Esav to go connect to, to be in opposition to the Klippa of Tohoim, which of course is the worst and greatest Klippa of all. That was the job of Esav. In other words, Ish Sodeh is really a statement a man of the field, field in a sense connotates the world which is evil in that Esav is to go out into the world and do battle with the world. However, this was originally intended. Now, of course, Avram would marry uh, Sarah, and Yitzchak would marry Rivka, and, Av and Yaakov would marry Rochel, and Leah was intended for Esav. However, when Esav joined the Klippa, he actually became the major representative of the Tohim. Instead of fighting the Sultan, he actually joined the Sultan and became his major agent. That task was given over to Yaakov. So Yaakov had to assume a second role, and that is to assume the role of Tohim. That he will actually have to go into the world. And that is the reason why he went to Lovan, because he had to go into the Klippa once he took away the blessings that were supposed to go to Esau. In any case, uh, I had dealt with this, of course, much more elaborately in the other tapes. But in any case, uh, Yaakov took over the avoid of Esau in terms of Tohim. Uh, and therefore, Esau became Edoim. He remained evil, of course. He became Edoim, which, of course, is Roim, which, of course, is the major clipper of Tohim. And as such, we are under that, uh, that clipper. We are under the uh, influence. We are in exile in that fourth nation, of course, which is Rome, which today is Christianity, a Western civilization, and that is the Klippa of Tohoim, which of course is represented major, in, in a major way by Esau. In fact, the interesting thing about it is that in Bratius, in the end of Vayishlach, when it talks about, and these are the kings that reigned in the kingdom of Edom, that Pusuk is the exact numerical equivalent of the four terms used to describe the Klippus in Yecheskel. Ruach Sa'ara, Onungorl, Eishmis Lakachas, 
And Noiga is the numerical equivalent of the entire post, first Pasuk of Edom. And it was, these are the kings that ruled in Edom, in the end of Ayishlach. To show you that Esav is the uh, principal agent of all the Klippas. Because, of course, Tahoim, if you represent Tahoim, you represent all the Klippas. You represent the entire gamut of evil. Uh, and as I said, the numerical value of that Pasuk, of course, is equal to the numerical value of all four terms used to describe the four existential worlds of evil uh, in Yechezkel. Now, as I had mentioned, uh, Yaakov took over the fourth Tohoim. And that is why there are four Imos, because the truth is there were supposed to be four of us. And since Yaakov took over the job of Esav, he therefore married Rochel and Leah, which of course was supposed to be designated to Esav, he, of course, married Esav's wife, or actually wife-designate Leah, because he took over the job of Esav, therefore he, of course, got Leah. Uh, and just as an aside, of course, Yaakov himself uh, could not do the job totally of Esav. One of cannot do two jobs, he cannot fight two Klippas. So Yosef, of course, assisted Yaakov in fighting the Klippa of Tohoim. And that is why you see <coughs> the word Sode used by all three. You find Esav, it says Ish Sode, a man of the field, which designates him as the individual to fight the existential uh, level or plane of the worst uh, evil. You find it used also by uh, ya- ya- Yaakov when he comes to Lovan, which means he's going now into the Tahoim, into the world, to fight that existential level of evil. It says, Vihine Be'eba Sode, and behold, there is a well in the field and that again describes the entrance into the fourth existential level, the Tahoim and we find also by Yosef that it says when he went from his father to look for his brothers at Shechem it says and he was wandering in the field he was wandering because obviously until now he had not really been pushed into that path and of course he met a man who told him that his brothers were attending the flock in a certain place, and that man, of course, was a Malach Gavriel, of course, who then um, steered Yosef to the direction he really was supposed to be steered in, which was, of course, to go into Egypt, into the Tahoim of Egypt, right? And to fight Egypt. That's why it says, Vahoyubes, Yaakov Laish, and behold, it shall be that the house of Yaakov will be for a fire, Ubes Yosef Lahova, and the house of Joseph will be for a flame, base Ace of the Kash. And the house of Asa will be, of course, for straw or stubble. It is Yaakov and Yosef, of course, that finally is victorious over Tohoim because they do the job of Asaph. That is a very, very short synopsis of an enormously long um, uh, exposition. But I dealt with it in other tapes. In any case, we now see why there are four of us and four Moors. And the four Imos, we know who they are. And the four of us, of course, are Avram, Yitzchok, and Yaakov, and Yosef. Yosef was a Chatzi of. Because you cannot be a Shevet, a tribe, and give rise to two Shvatim, to two other tribes. And since Yosef had Menashe and Ephraim, obviously his Neshama had to be a Neshama of a patriarch in order to give rise to two tribes himself. Therefore, uh, that is basically the idea between Yaakov and Yosef. In any case, uh, also interestingly note that the, that the Gemara notes, the, the Medrash notes, that the uh, four kinds of, of uh, tzorahs, 
the Medrash says represent the four kingdoms which really means that they represent the four klipas almost as if a person who got Tsaras really it was in a barometer the fact that he got this Tsaras was a barometer that he was somehow uh, aggravating that existential plane of evil and since the Nishamas, the souls in those days were so high he actually had it indicated in him uh, in terms of how he was aggravating or being allied to an existential plane of evil um, <clears throat> yeah it's also interesting to note that these four clippers we know that the four clippers all of course represent the Hester because we know the four worlds of Kedusha represent the Gilui the revelation of God's oneness so obviously the four clippers have to re- have to be different levels of clipper manifestation of Hester manifestation that we know and therefore we can almost say that there are four levels of Hester or four sense of self. The lowest level of Hester or the lowest sense of self is what's called self-complacency. When a person thinks that he is somebody, but he doesn't think he's superior. The next level of, 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 of uh, self, uh, where a person feels that he is somebody independent of God, is called superiority. And he thinks that at that level, that not only is he important, but he's actually better than others. He's superior to others. That is a, a worse level of, of uh, illusion in terms of the person feels himself to be somebody. Yeshe'id Muvadeh, in other words. Or the concealment of Eneid Muvadeh, the fact that God is one. The third level of Hester in terms of self is when a person is an egocentric person where he feels that, yes, I am important, yes, I am superior, but not only that, but everybody everybody uh, serves me I'm egocentric I'm the center of the world and of course that is much more severe that's much more distorted thinking it's almost bordering on the psychotic and the last level of self which is the worst and it's really is psychotic is megalomania where the person says I am God uh, in other words I am and nobody else really is in that sense those four levels of distortion of self really also correspond to the four clippers. The different existential levels of evil or the four different levels of, uh, of uh, illusion of self or the concealment of Enid Mavadre, that God is absolutely one. Now that we've dealt with the idea of the four clippers, let us now see what's involved in the Marcus themselves, the ten plagues and try to get an understanding of what went on.